6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler begins his teaching on the book of 2 Kings, chapters 1 through 3. We are in the uh, book of 3 Kings. Uh, there, most people don't, you know, in the Septuagint, it's first, second, third, and fourth king, kingdoms. And in the Latin, they made it kings. Uh, but in our common Bible, the way we, where we, we uh, in terms of the uh, labeling, we, we, we call those first and second Samuel and first and second kings. So we are in second kings starting tonight. And, uh, the first session, which we'll cover, we typically will cover about three chapters at a time, and we'll get that through in about eight sessions. And, uh, the, uh, that the first and second kings are actually just a continuation of first and second Samuel, in effect. And these four books are almost like a whole. Uh, they go all the way from David and Solomon all the way to the division of the southern kingdom and so on. Uh, in the first kings, we had the division of the nation. And in the second kings, we're going to see the collapse of the nation. First the northern kingdom to the Assyrians, and then the southern kingdom uh, going to captivity with the Babylonians. Now, the moral teaching of these books is that man is totally incapable of ruling himself and the world. And we're going to get a very graphic view of the both the rise and the fall of the kingdom of Israel. Now, in, when we closed 1 Kings, uh, we were told that Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria. And we're going to pick that theme up in um, 2 Kings. By the way, you may wonder why did they divide it right there uh, for a very profound reason. It's the middle of the total scrolls. In other words, the scrolls are getting too long, so they just literally cut them in half. And so it's not topically split, it's just physically split. And where things seem a little different length, remember, we're dealing with the translation. In the Hebrew, it's much more dense, by the way. So let's get into, uh, well, let's, uh, another, just another review so you get a feeling for this. Um, the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, goes, uh, goes from bad to worse, from about 931 BC to about 721, the Assyrian captivity. The southern kingdom uh, goes from bad to worse with some exceptions. We'll talk about the exceptions, about uh, six or eight uh, kings that are labeled good, but most of them are bad, and uh, finally that go- goes in the Babylonian captivity. But the area that we're in, we're just bridging from the close of First Kings to the beginning of Second Kings, and uh, uh, we're going to deal primarily with uh, Jehoram of the king of this, uh, uh, excuse me, there is going to be a king, Jehoram, in the southern kingdom. I want you to notice that Ahaziah finishes first kings. It'll overlap a little bit. And then most of what we're going to encounter is Jehoram. But I want you to notice there's a king by the same name in both places. Jehoram in the northern kingdom will encounter in the sessions tonight. There's also a Jehoram in the southern kingdom. Some Bibles, to avoid confusion transliterate the name Joram, J-O-R-A-M, uh, in the one case or the other to make it less confusing when you're reading. But pretty much, 
from the context, you can tell pretty well which one we're talking about, and that it shouldn't be a problem. Just be aware of the fact that there's two kings, one in the north, one in the south, with the same name, that overlap a little bit. And uh, so so let's go to Second Kings chapter 1, and uh, we're, of course, uh, in the period of Elijah. In fact, closing his ministry, you'll see shortly. And uh, Ahaziah is the uh, king that... Um, um, of Israel. He was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. Now with parents like that, you can imagine how sharp he was. Uh, he was uh, uh, bad news. And uh, so about this time, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now, uh, Mesha was the king of Moab, and uh, he rebelled after Ahab died. You get the impression that he, with Ahab gone, he assumes that Ahaziah will not be as strong, and indeed he wasn't. He's trying to throw off the burden of taxation that was originally put on the, the Moabites by Omri, you may, that was Ahaziah's grandfather. Uh, and uh, that goes way back to 1 Kings 16 and so on. But his rebellion is not effective at first, but it did begin in Ahaziah's reign, and that tells you a little bit that Ahaziah must be at least viewed by him as a, a weaker king than Ahab. In verse 2, Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria, and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go and inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. Now, I don't know how he fell through the lattice. It's not an unreasonable conjecture. He probably was drunk. But in any case, um, Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. And he fell through some kind of lattice, fell sick, and he's not going to recover from that, it'll turn out. That'll turn out to ultimately be fatal. But notice what he does, though. He sends messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, now, Ekron was a city of the Philistines. Beelzebub is one of the pagan idols. Baal just means Lord of. There's lots of different Baals. Uh, Beelzebub is probably, by the way, a mischievous mistranslation. Uh, Beelzebul is uh, really the, 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 the Lord of the dwelling or the Lord of the chambers. But some copyist probably very early changed one letter. So it's Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. Now, whether they really worship flies is a little debatable. What it probably is, it was a, uh, just a, a mischievous switch, but you'll find Beelzebub, of course, very prominent through the let- literature, and when you translate it literally, it means Lord of the Flies. But in any case, he's the god of Ekron. Now, the main point here, though, is Ahaziah is looking for a prediction as he, whether he's, not going to, he's going to recover from the sickness he got from falling through this lattice. He doesn't go to the god of Israel. He goes to a pagan god. One of the recurring themes... Throughout this book is this is is God's indignation at being ignored, not giving His rightful place, uh, and uh, that's going to be much of what we, will happen. We will not understand unless we really appreciate that we serve a jealous God. He claims to be right in the middle of the Ten Commandments in Exodus twenty, and we need to understand that. And so, anyway, here's Isaiah looking for some prophetic word of encouragement, but through a pagan oracle. The point of this, this is a direct challenge uh, to God himself. And God takes offense. And unless you realize that, you really won't follow much of the uh, things that will go on. But anyway, let's move on. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, we're shifting gears here. This term, angel of the Lord, by the way, should be familiar to you. It is generally viewed by most scholars as a, a, a Old Testament pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. You don't have to insist upon that, uh, but if you do your homework, I think you'll find a lot of substantiation. Genesis 22, verses 15 and 16, clearly makes the angel Lord phrase an idiom of, a, of a, 
the Lord Jesus Christ before his incarnation in the Old Testament. He appeared to Elijah many times, and, uh, and other Old Testament leaders, Abraham, Moses, and Gideon, all had visitations by the angel of the Lord. And many of these, it's, you can advance a, uh, it's arguably a, uh, more than just an angel. It's the angel of the Lord, or uh, as an idiom, probably, from, from, for Christ himself. Anyway, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, this guy Elijah is familiar to you, and uh, we're going to be seeing a little of his ministry before this is over. And then his mentor, excuse me, uh, the one he's mentoring, uh, Elisha, which most people don't know that much about, but he's a far greater prophet than Elijah in many respects. So we'll look at that. But we're going to encounter both of these guys in these series here. But uh, uh, it says, anyway, he said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it not because there's not a God in Israel that you go to inquire bills above the God of Ekron? See, uh, God is taking the initiative here to rebut their even going to this pagan idol for advice. And uh, so this is, uh, Ahaziah is, is doing just what his mother and his dad, Ahab and Jezebel, taught him to do. Ahaziah certainly is not going to inquire of Elijah, because that's the one that his mother has put a price on his head. So, he, you know, he doesn't like to go to some place where he knows he's not going to get good at the advice he wants to hear. Isn't it tragic that we don't go for sound advice, we go to listen to what we want to hear? And uh, I won't ask for a show of hands of how many you do that. I know we all tend to do that. It's uh, the smart the smart thing to do is go where you know the advice is good. And, of course, that's from God, not from some pagan idol. But in any case, uh, now therefore, thus saith the Lord, there's that phrase, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but thou shalt but shall surely die. In other words, that's the prophecy that God is sending to, through these messengers to Ahaziah. He wants to know what's going to happen about his sickness. And uh, he's trying to find out for the pagan god. The Lord says, you're not going to come down from that bed which thou art gone up, but thou shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. So that's the word from the Lord. Let's see what goes on here then, okay? The me- when the messengers turned back unto him, he said unto them, Why are ye now turned back? And they said unto him, see, this is the king now, There came up a man to meet us. And he said unto us, Go turn again unto the king that sent you. And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord. Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from the bed on which thou art gone up, but thou shalt surely die. So they repeat faithfully what they were told to say. And he said to them, What manner of man was he that came up to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, He was a hairy man, and girt with a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. He recognized the garb. He recognized the uniform. He knew what this was all about. Now, this is a, this is a physical description of Elijah. This physical description is going to echo some nine centuries later in the person of guess who? John the Baptist. You betcha. In more ways, possibly, than most people have any idea. And I'll come back to that before we're through. There's a, there's a, some traditions I'll share with you that are pretty colorful. This hairy garment, probably made from goat's hair, uh, very dark uh, hair, and the large leather belt, they're, they're the typical dress of, of the mountain men kind of thing. Um, uh, it's rough as burlap. It's it sometimes called sackcloth. And it, it's it, it deliberately intended to express distress or affliction. And it's intended to visualize repentance and uh, 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 in which the prophets are calling the people to do. So you'll find that uh, in Nehemiah 9, Jeremiah 6, a number of places. And that's why John the Baptist also adopted the same same uh, garb, if you will. 
Now, as these guys come back and tell that they encountered this guy and gave this message, obviously Ahaziah recognizes the description because this was the guy that consistently opposed his parents, Ahab and Jezebel, and uh, for their Baal worship. So anyway, moving on to uh, verse 9, Then the king sent unto him a captain of fifty, with his fifty. He's got a captain of fifty, and they're fifty. So there's fifty-one guys, their leader and the fifty guys. And he went up to him, and behold, he sat on top of a hill. And he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king hath said, Come down. You notice now, see, the king has sent this captain and fifty guys to go get Elijah. Bring him down here. You know, bring him down to the throne room. But Elijah, <laughs> he doesn't sweat anybody. Elijah answered and said to the captain of the fifty, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And guess what happened? There came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. I suspect, I suspect that made an impression. You know? You know, when you first read this story, it may seem like an unnecessary demonstration of power. See, uh, Ahaziah is showing complete contempt for Elijah, but in so doing, he's insulting the God who sent him. And our God is a jealous God. And uh, he's going after this prophet like an outlaw and uh, to drag him before the throne and so forth. You would think that these guys, seeing Elijah up on the hill would be reminded when Elijah was on the hill at Mount Carmel a few chapters ago and had that incredible demonstration that we talked about in our previous session. And you think they'd, re- you think they'd remember. you think they'd have a little trepidation. But anyway, uh, I started to say these guys made an ash of themselves, but that, uh, that'll get to... Uh, let's move on. Um, verse 11. Also... He sent unto him another captain of fifty and his fifty. So the first fifty-one guys got wiped out. So another captain with another fifty are sent. And he answered and said, O man of God, thus hath the king said, Come down quickly. This guy apparently is a slow learner. Elijah answered and said unto him, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Well, there's a third guy who's been taking notes. <laughs> and he sent again a captain of a third fifty and his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these fifty thy servants be precious in thy sight. You know, this guy um, is using his head and... Uh, it's uh, he's show, he, he, he's not being uh, aggressive. He's begging for mercy, and when beg for mercy, God will extend His mercy. So we get to verse fourteen. Behold, there came down fire from heaven and burnt up the two captains of the former fifties and their fifties. There, oh, he's continuing. Excuse me, that's continuing the quote. Behold, there came down fire from heaven and burnt up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore, let my life now be precious in thy sight. And the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, Go down with him. Be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. So the third guy handled it a little differently and survived the ordeal. And he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Forasmuch as thou hast sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, 
Is it not because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore thou shalt not come down off that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. So Elijah repeats in person to the king the prophecy that he actually had passed to the, through the messengers a bit earlier. And uh, so uh, by the time, this is about the sixth time that God told Elijah to, to, to go or leave and so forth. And I won't go through all the, the thing there, that's fine. But uh, this whole incident is just like the Mount Carmel incident in terms of the lessons it's intended to teach, namely that God is in control, He is sovereign, and He guards that sovereignty very jealously. And uh, so, uh, verse 17, So he died, excuse me, so he died, according to the word of the Lord which Elijah had spoken. And Jehoram reigned in his stead in the second year of Jehoram, the, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because he had no son. The one who had no son is, uh, is uh, Azariah that died. It's hard, the, the grammar is a little confused the way it's translated. See, Azariah died. He did not have any son, so his brother, uh, Joram, takes the throne. But Joram uh, reigns instead in the second year of a Joram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Don't get confused. We're not going to be dealing too much with Jeho- uh, Joram, Jehos- uh, the the. Uh, the southern kingdom king. Most of our narrative is going to be in the northern kingdom, so it shouldn't confuse you. It caused some confusion because Jehoram is the name of both of them. And I haven't adopted the convention that some Bibles do where they spell it differently to avoid the confusion, but uh, let's just go on with it. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, uh, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So this, in a sense, in a logical sense, closes off where first kings might have closed off. What we got a little, what we've had so far is sort of a carryover from where we were before. But now we are in Second Kings chapter two, and this is the famous event of, you'll excuse the expression, the rapture of Elijah. And uh, the word is translation by most people, but it's the same same concept that we're going to be hitting head on here. Uh, uh, this is when Elijah closes his ministry at the end. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 1, It came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And uh, so we're going, this is going to be the conclusion of Elijah's life. And uh, the chapter will close with Elisha, his, his, his uh, uh, protege, being heckled by some hecklers. And we're gonna, he's gonna show you how you bear hecklers before we're through. But, uh, it came to pass, uh, when the Lord would take up Elijah and so forth. That's, that's sort of a preview of what's coming. Um, now the Gilgal we're talking about here is not necessarily the Gilgal by the Jordan River. It's the Gilgal, uh, that's, uh, closer to Bethel. And, uh, it, uh, maybe the modern Jilla Jilla, uh, it's about seven miles northwest of, of the Bethel that uh, we generally have on a map. But it's interesting that the uh, Hebrew says went down to Gilgal. Now Gilgal is a higher elevation than Bethel, and it's in Ephraim near Shiloh. Uh, the, and so, in uh, it's interesting what it's known for is the center of false worship. So it's interesting how even in the grammar, it's a descent spiritually, even though it's an elevation. He doesn't go up to Gilgal; he goes down to Gilgal. There's a spiritual. Uh, Spin by the editor in here, by the way, the Hebrews. Did. Anyway, uh, and Elijah said to Elisha, now Elijah's the old guy, Elisha's the young protege, get the, don't get him confused. Elijah said to Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Now, in spite of Elijah's exhortation, Elisha declared that he would, he insisted upon going along. 
And it's going to be three stops here. He, uh, Elijah can't shake the kid. Um, I shouldn't call him a kid. He's not a child. But the point is, he, he, he's tenacious. He is, he is, he some, uh, there's indication that he understood that this is Elijah's last day. And he's going to hang in there. He wants to be present when Elijah finally gets taken. And Elijah's trying to see how committed he really is. He tries to shake him and he's, he doesn't, he, he can't do that. The, Elisha's determined to be with the father of his faith to the very end. So he refused Elijah's suggestion to stay comfortably here in, in Gilgal. And uh, Elisha probably figures that the dying person usually has blessings, like in Genesis with Jacob. So he wants to be there at the tail end. So, um, so the sons of the prophets, now there's a, there are schools of prophets. There's at least three of them that we'll encounter. These are almost like guilds. This is where people get trained to expound the word of God to the people. There are schools for false prophets too, but these the, the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said to him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it, but hold ye your peace. So the word's around somehow. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went together to Jericho. First to Gilgal, now to Jericho. And they'll be, then they'll go to the Jordan shortly. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee here, for the Lord t- will send me to the Jordan. See, it's, it's, there's, it's three different places. He, Elijah goes, tries to leave the kid behind. He won't stay behind. He insists upon tagging along. So they go from Gilgal, they go to Jericho, and now they're going to go to the Jordan. Elijah said to him, Terry, I pray thee here, for the Lord sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And so the two went on. The fifty sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And the two of them, that's Elijah and Elisha, stood by the Jordan. And verse 8, Elijah took his mantle. We're going to talk about this mantle a little bit more. He took his mantle and wrapped it together. In other words, he like rolled it up. And he smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither, so that the two went over on dry ground. Does this reminiscent of two different occasions in the past? When they crossed the Red Sea, leaving Egypt. You all know about that story. You also recall that when Joshua takes them across the Jordan to Gilgal, that's the Gilgal or the Jordan, uh, again, they crossed the Jordan miraculously that way. 500 years before uh, this, this uh, occurred at the Jordan River. And uh, so God repeats this miracle for the two of them, for both Elijah and Elisha. And you can check this all out in Exodus 14 in your notes if you want to follow through later. Um, this is one of several similarities between Moses and Elijah. There's some very interesting differences. There's also some interesting similarities. I encourage you to, to explore that, to get, to get develop your perspectives. In any case, this event would certainly remind Elisha, the young protege, that the same God has the same power, and, and, and he's still alive and well in Israel. And, of course, the focus of all of this is the northern kingdom is Israel. It came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. In other words, they, they mutually understand that this Elijah is, is on his way to be with the Lord. And Elisha said, I pray thee. <laughs> now you have to understand his mentality. He visualizes Elijah as the father, as his father in the faith. Not literally his father, but in the faith. 
And so Elisha is sort of putting himself in the position of the firstborn. And the firstborn son always got a double portion of the inheritance. So Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. He's not asking for material goods. He's asking for something far more precious. Now here's Elijah, this incredible, incredible um, guy that we've, you know, at Mount Carmel, you know, called down fire from heaven, you know, three, you know, uh, several times. Um, and Elijah, you can tell he's Jewish. It's got chutzpah. I don't want what you've got. I want twice as much of what you've got. You know, that's, <laughs> and so Elijah says, thou hast asked a hard thing. In other words, uh, uh, it, it's not up to Elijah to do this. It's up to God, of course. So he says, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. So it's up to the Lord, and he'll know whether he did or not. Does he actually see what's coming? Now, it's interesting If we study the career of Elijah, there are generally regarded seven major miracles that occurred. He stopped the rains back there in 1 Kings 17. He multiplied the widow's food, you may recall. He restored the widow's son to life. He calls down fire on Mount Carmel, you may recall, in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Restores rain to the land, calls down fire on the soldiers, and divides the waters of the Jordan just recently. So that's seven miracles that Elijah did. Elisha wants a double portion, right? Well, as you'll discover when we get through Elisha, there are 14 of them, twice as many. He got his double portion. And we won't go through them here because we'll go through them one by one and we'll review these when we get through uh, into chapter 6. But but uh, we've got uh, uh, 14 of them. So Elisha, probably less well known, but in many respects a greater prophet than even Elijah. And so let's move on. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 11. It came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them into two pieces. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Musler, teaching through the book of 2 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.